A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, I'm Victoria Meyer, host of The Chemical Show, and I'd like to welcome everybody to the, today's episode. We're actually recording this one live with a studio audience, if you will. And so it's a great chance to just do this live and get a bit more perspective. And then we follow this up with a Q&A. So today I am delighted to have Jonathan Kapolsky here, who is a professor at Northwestern University Kellogg School of Management. And Jonathan's going to be sharing insights from his decades of experience helping B2B companies boost their customer value through marketing. And his experience comes from a number of leading companies, including Deloitte. So today, Jonathan teaches B2B marketing at Northwestern at the Kellogg School of Management. In fact, that's where Jonathan and I got introduced, serving on a panel for a Kellogg alumni group. And he is coaching the next generation of executives on marketing, business transformation, and more. Jonathan, welcome to The Chemical Show. Thank you, Victoria. Delighted to be here. And thanks for the warm welcome. Yeah, absolutely. So Share a brief overview of you and your origin story. How did you get into this wonderful world of marketing? Like many people who are in B2B marketing, I would call myself an accidental marketer. After I finished business school back in 1980, I spent some time in technology, spent some time in finance and corporate development, and at some point was fascinated by the issues that customers have around how do they choose the suppliers that they work with. And somehow that led me to marketing. And here I am 40 years later, having served the chief marketing officer for Deloitte Consulting, a chief marketing officer for a company called CCH, which is now part of Walters Kluwer, and advise a number of companies. And one of the things I do, as you mentioned, is I serve as the academic director for a business marketing strategy program that we run at Kellogg as part of our executive education program. Awesome. So our topic here is really around marketing DNA. We'll get to that. But when did you first realize that B2B companies need to think about marketing differently? Like many people who have gone to school and studied business and marketing, most of the examples were always B2C. And we talked about these great brands and we talked about things that consumer love and adore. And you'd see these marketing efforts, many of which were these wonderful commercials and so forth. And as I started working in my first stint in consulting, a number of B2B companies, including a chemical company or two, what I discovered was that the process of marketing for B2B was completely different and completely different set of issues. But many of us who wound up being in things didn't start our lives in as marketers. We didn't necessarily go to school like Kellogg and study all these wonderful things about marketing. And even if we did, we were woefully inequipped in terms of being able to think about, well, what do I do as a B2B marketer? Because more than likely, all these wonderful promotions and commercials and activities that we did in B2C had no relevance whatsoever for B2B. 
Yeah, absolutely. And as I went to Kellogg myself and did my MBA there and studied marketing and strategy, and there was one B2B marketing class and it actually didn't fit the chemical market. It didn't fit the B2B industrial businesses that I know. So yeah, so a lot of this becomes on-the-job training and figuring it out and figuring out how to make it happen. So let's talk about marketing DNA. What is it? Can you describe it for us? It's probably helpful, Victoria, to give you a little bit of an origin story. I was working for a large commercial bank, and this is, goes back a number of years. And the bank had was one of these companies which had done a terrific job of going through I'd say the risk crisis back in the late 2008, 2009. And the CEO felt very good about what they had done relative to risk. And he went to a woman at that time was sort of the CMO. And I say sort of the CMO because they didn't have a CMO. And he said, look, what do we need to do to be a great marketing company? And fortunately, she reached out to us at that point as a senior partner at Deloitte. And we started a project called The Great Marketing Company. And the big takeaway from that great marketing company project was there are lots of ways that B2B companies can be great in marketing. And really where you are in terms of marketing depends very much upon your industry, your competitive positioning, your history, your legacy, your strengths and skills. And we came up with this metaphor of DNA to say we all have the same number of chromosomes and so forth. But the way that it manifests itself for individuals is very different. And what we said is the way that great marketing manifests itself for B2B companies can be very different depending upon the situation. And we said we identified five what we call iconic archetypes of ways that companies are great marketers in the B2B context. And what we told people at the client, and I've subsequently worked with a number of B2B executives, said you have to pick and choose. We can't be great on all five dimensions. And part of the strategy and marketing strategy is picking the places where we want to be great. Awesome. And so what are those five archetypes? The first one is the one that we're all very familiar with, which is around sales enablers. Many B2B marketers are really focused on how do we make our sales organization function effectively? How do we provide them with support? How do we make sure they've got the collateral, et cetera? So if you do a survey of B2B organization, an awful lot tend to default to that archetype. And it's probably the archetype that a lot of chemical companies default to, frankly, right? That sales is king and marketing serves sales. Exactly. And often the way that we would measure the effectiveness of marketing is how many marketing qualified leads did we produce? How effective was marketing and supporting people? Do we run the trade shows, et cetera? The second one was what we called innovation champion. So an innovation champion is really about marketing as a partner often with R&D to launch new innovative products. And so this is really about thinking if Apple is the, I'd say the North Star in terms of B2C, how do we find innovations for the organization? It's not about marketing necessarily leading the organization to innovation because often development in R&D is doing that, but it's really about how we bring it to market successfully where we view the future of the organization, not about selling the current portfolio, but about expanding the portfolio to include new and innovative products. The third one, I know this is something very much your favorite, is really what we call customer experience architect. And this is about thinking about architecting the end-to-end customer experience. And I would say 10 years ago, if you talk to B2B organizations, that was not high on the list of priorities for a lot of those B2B And I think that's changed. And frankly, I think it's changed because B2B customers have experienced 
the Starbucks and the Netflix and the Amazons of the world. And they say, well, why can't my B2B buying experience look like that? And particularly as we've had companies get into the B2B space, Amazon, for example, they brought what they learned in the B2C space to that. So one of my clients has been a leading MRO organization here in the Chicago area. Their biggest competitor right now that they worry about is Amazon, not the traditional ones. The fourth one is really around customer insights generation. And if we think about the metaphor that we could look to outside of B2B is something like Capital One, which was just masterful in terms of coming up with offers for people based upon the insights they had about their customers. And where we see this on the B2B side is really focusing on understanding what we as a company can do to drive positive outcomes for our customers. So we use insights about how they use their products and so forth. So I think one of the companies which is masterful in doing this is Ecolab. So Ecolab, if you look at their homepage, you know, what they talk about is not their products or the features or the functionality or even their solutions. They really talk about outcomes. The way they understand the outcomes is because they've got deep insights into how their customers are using their products. And it strikes me that Salesforce and a lot of what Salesforce wants to do and be and help their customers with is around this fourth archetype and customer insights and how to use them to create outcomes. Yeah. And if you go to Salesforce, their homepage is just filled with these customer success stories and they just excel and they've got a big group at Salesforce that's really focused with understanding customer success. But Salesforce, I think, also characterizes the last archetype, which is being an iconic brand builder. So we easily think about this in B2C. We have companies like Harley-Davidson. We have companies like Apple and so forth, where these brands are tremendous. It's a little bit harder with B2B. And I think this is the least frequently used archetype for a whole bunch of reasons. But I would say Salesforce, with everything from the iconic imagery that they use to the customer advocacy that they built and the loyalty and so forth. And you go to Dreamforce, which is their annual show they do in San Francisco, and they get 100,000 people coming to that. It's all about the brand with Salesforce, and they've been able to take what was originally a CRM business, expand it to marketing and AI and so forth, because they built this incredible brand with incredible loyalty to the brand and huge recognition. I mean, you can see all of us probably if we've had any experience with Salesforce, we know exactly what the logo looks like because it's so iconic. Interesting. So do companies just inherently have one of these or can they pick one and transform to get to that place? And how do they decide this? So the quick answer is yes, they can transform. But we got to start with the premise that we only have 24 hours a day and we're going to spend at least part of that sleeping because most of us have not learned to sleep any faster. So if we can't sleep faster and we only have so much time for what we do professionally, and our team only has so much time, the question becomes, how do we allocate the time? So one of the exercises that we go through in our executive education class is I ask the CMOs and the senior marketing folks who are there, take 100% and tell us where you spend your time today. And they'll take those five archetypes, more than likely. Most of them are spending the bulk of their time around sales enablement. That may or may not be right for their organization. And then we go through another exercise and say, where do you think, given the strategy of your organization, the competitive position and so forth, you should spend the bulk of your time? Similar exercise. And we're trying to look for is where the shifts are. And I tell people when you do this, if you've got 20% 
allocated against each of the five, that's not a good thing. Because what you're going to do is kind of spread it evenly. It's like going into a casino and going to the roulette table, and I'll put half my money on red and half my money on black. You can't win with that. So you've got to pick a dominant one where really it's going to drive change for the organization relevant to that particular time. Now, I will tell you, when we go through this, more often than not, the shift is really around going from sales enablement to a greater emphasis on experience. And I've seen the last couple of iterations, everybody says we need to focus more on what the customer experience is because we believe in our business that will be the differentiator for us, particularly after COVID and so much of our face-to-face sales was interrupted and more and more companies were going direct to the companies through digital. And so digital experience becomes a big driver of that. And it's funny, Victoria, you, you and I were talking about a company before. Five years ago, we had this conversation. They said, our companies will never buy over the internet. That's not true anymore. And I think a bunch of things prompted, but COVID seemed to accelerate that switch because it forced people into having to do business remotely, which meant that digital now became important part. And for many B2B companies, it's now a digital first world. Absolutely. And I certainly see that across the chemical industry in the clients that I work with, that this recognition that they need to drive towards customer experience and recognizing that whether they believe it or not, they do have a customer experience today. So everybody's got a customer experience. And then there's a choice about how to evolve and leverage and differentiate that to create value. And the reality, even in a B2B world, your customers are all people. And so you have to be able to engage the people at the companies that you're doing business with in the ways that they want and driving the experience and creating that value for them. So one of my colleagues, you may know, Greg Carpenter, puts up this simple two-by-two chart. And along the horizontal dimension is needs. And he's on one end of the spectrum is the rational needs. Now, that's the stuff that goes into an RFP or an RFI or goes into like a spec sheet that you may give to a vendor. Along the other side of that horizontal dimension is the non-rational needs, the emotional needs, the need to feel trust and safety and comfort and et cetera. And along the vertical dimension is the ability of the customer or the willingness of the customer to articulate what those needs are. Right? So down at the bottom is we've got those, I can easily articulate my needs, at the top of that is the stuff that we can't articulate. So if we think about the thing in the upper left-hand corner, we've got articulated needs, very rational. That's the stuff that historically we believe that B2B buyers use to make their decisions about whether or not to use a vendor. But all of us have had the experience where we see emotional needs, and that may emotional needs may be, if this goes sideways, I will lose my job. That's an emotional need to... Can I trust this vendor to deliver what they said they will deliver in the time period that they will? Or if they've got a product map or they've got a set of innovations coming in the future, can I trust them that they will continue to deliver against that? And what we're seeing is the experience plays into delivering against those unarticulated emotional needs that B2B buyers have just like B2C buyers have. Yeah, absolutely. I actually like to use it as like the iceberg principle, right? So those stated items are below the waterline, just like 
with an iceberg, 90% of it's below the waterline. And that's where all these other experiential trust, unstated needs and other things are getting met. And I think that's always been true. It's just shifting, right? In the digital landscape, in the world that we're in, the way business has evolved, some of those things are shifting, but they're still there. The other thing which we talk about in our program a bit is the nature of the virus has shifted. So it's more diverse in terms of gender, ethnicity, age. People who are now becoming buyers and influencers are younger. They're more digital first individuals. They're people who are bringing a different set of issues there, often things which are on that emotional, non-rational side, like purpose and mission and so forth. So the changing nature of the buyer community in terms of diversity, the number of people who are getting involved, the willingness to look at third parties and so forth. So that has also become, now I've got to navigate that. And once again, experience becomes an important element of how I navigate that diverse heterogeneous fire community versus I'm going to take somebody out to lunch. We'll talk about it. I'll show them my spec sheet and boom, I've got to sell. Interesting. So Jonathan, one of the things you and I talked about is one is really just around the changing role of B2B marketers. And maybe you've touched on this a bit. What do you see as this evolution in terms of what's really the role of B2B marketing today versus maybe where it was a decade ago? I see a couple of things happening, Victoria. So certainly we have the emergence of a CMO role at a lot of B2B companies, and that did not exist 10, 15, 20 years ago. But sometimes they're called chief commercial officer, sometimes chief marketing officer, sometimes chief customer officer, but somebody who's actually got responsibility for that side of the house, who's not necessarily subservient to sales, but would partner with sales. Part of that, we also see those people having a seat at the executive table. They're often a C-suite executive, so they're participating in conversations and decision-making. So that's one thing. The second is I do see the skills around experience, around focusing on outcomes, around thinking about brand building, being brought to bear on that. So the nature of the job, this goes back to the DNA discussion, is not just about how can I equip sales? That's an important part. That's never going to go away. We need to make sure that our customer-facing parts of the enterprises are aligned with what customers need, and we can support those things. One of the expressions that I use in talking with students and talking with organizations that I consult with, the job of B2B marketers is not to make things easy to sell, is to make things easier to buy. And part of what marketers need to think about are what are all the obstacles that get in the way of our customers using our products and how do I systematically identify and tackle those obstacles and make sure that marketing is taking the lead on doing that. And then how does that, I think you talked about the fact that we're seeing more marketing in the C-suite and yet it's still not easy, right? I I think especially with this evolution. So how do marketers educate the C-suite? on the marketing DNA, on the criticality of this, on maybe even a shifting in the archetype. What do you see happening? What do you see as effective? It's funny. I remember I was helping out with a search for a marketer at a B2B organization, and I interviewed a number of the potential colleagues of the the role that we were trying to fill. I said, well, what does this person really need to do? And I'd say the more often than not answer what well, they need to do like this marketing stuff. They need to make like all these like really cool marketing things. And I'd say that the level of sophistication on the part of it, and these were smart people, 
of what exactly marketing needed to do was pretty low, in part because they just didn't have the experience. It's rare in B2B organizations that a CEO comes up from the marketing ranks. It's very hard to find CEOs who have done that. They may have come from sales, they may have come from engineering or product, R&D, they may have come from finance, but it's very rare that you have people actually came from marketing. So it's not surprising that the CEO and most of the C-suite would not necessarily understand what marketing is. And similarly, if you look at the boards of these organizations, marketing may not be well represented on the boards either. So there's an educational process, which one of the things I've recommended to individuals is to use something like these five archetypes. And after that individual fills out the sheet, I say, go to your team and ask your team to say where we think we need to be. But then go to your boss and your boss's boss or to the C-suite and let's have that conversation there. And I have found that to be an easy way when people understand the four archetypes. And it doesn't take a long time to explain to then have a conversation. Now, I'll tell you, Victoria, I just had this conversation about two weeks ago with a newly appointed CMO for a B2B organization. And like many accidental marketers in B2B, he did not come from marketing. And he had a question for me. His question is, well, how should I organize my marketing department? I said, good question. What do you want the marketing department to do? I then over the phone in a half hour call, talked about these five archetypes. And I said, look, think about using that as a framework for thinking through where you want to place your priorities, where you want to put your bets, and then using it also from a change management standpoint to educate your team and your leadership about what marketing should do. Yeah, and that's right. I think there is the whole education process. And in fact, I often tell people marketing is not well understood inside of the chemical industry, right? So I think often people think of marketing as advertising or communications, right? And miss the broader strategic value-oriented context. And that, and I think we're starting to see this. We're seeing some chemical companies that are driving more towards having marketing as being a critical driver and function of the organization, but we still have a ways to go. I think we're going to kind of lead us to maybe our last question, and then we're going to wrap it up and move into our live Q&A. But Jonathan, in, in the context of this, in the context of what we've talked about, and you've done work with chemical companies as well as other B2B companies, what's one thing that chemical companies can do today to really just better understand and then leverage and make an impact utilizing their marketing DNA? So I go down two paths, and one is a path of saying, understanding from a customer standpoint, how do we create value for customers? And me, that comes down to Clay Christensen wrote a bunch of books, The Innovator's Dilemma, The Innovator's Solution, et cetera. One of the concepts that he has is really understanding the job to be done and consequently what kind of constraints we're operating, but what's that job to be done? And it relates back to the conversation we had before about outcomes. So to me, this all starts with how do our products help our customers who achieve certain outcomes? And those outcomes may be strategic outcomes, they may be financial outcomes, they may be operational outcomes, and how do we quantify those outcomes? And then if we take that kind of understanding, what are the things that we as marketing can do to help to increase the possibility that they will achieve the outcome? Sales enablement is not a dirty word in my mind. I have run a sales force. I understand we've got to feed the machine, but how do we balance that out with some of these other strands? 
But it's also what works for one company in one particular category of chemicals may not work for another. So I do encourage people not to get overly focused on best practices and say, well, we could just do so forth. But what's the best practice for us, given where we are at this point in time? Yeah, absolutely. And creating that unique value that fits their organization and their customers and target markets. Exactly. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Jonathan, thank you for joining us. This has been great. If people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? You can find me on the Kellogg website and my email address is Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N dot Kapolsky, C-O-P-U-L-S-K-Y at Northwestern.edu. So happy to talk to people. I would also invite you. We do have a program in this little bit of a pitch but executive education, we have a program business marketing strategy. Our next one starts October 31st and we'll be launching in partnership with a company called Emeritus in January, a asynchronous version of that that Ken Grace and I will be leading. So we'd love to have you join that as well. Yeah. And I'm one of the guest speakers on that asynchronous program. So that's exciting for me and for everybody else too. One of the best parts. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Jonathan, thanks for joining us. And thanks everyone else for joining and listening into The Chemical Show. And keep listening, following, and sharing. And we'll talk again soon. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.